big hand. All right. Well, so we've been in our series, Campfire Stories, and we've been looking at a different story each week and asking the age-old question, what wisdom can we get from this story? We haven't said, what history can we learn from this story? We've said, what wisdom can we understand? Like, what is hidden in here that the Spirit of God can open our eyes to that we can think about how it can intersect with our everyday, normal, peacemaking lives as we leave this space and we enter into Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And each week, we've had one of our peacemakers kind of share a bit of, a, of their story, something that had happened in their life as it related to the topic of the day. So today's a little different. Steve Boston, who's one of our council members, volunteers with our students and lots of other areas, uh, is a participant in the community with uh, some great programs, all kinds of amazing things. Steve sat down and shared some of his takeaways from the last eight weeks. So we gave Steve a little bit longer, right? So we got about a 10-minute video to just kind of recap what these stories were all about. And Steve shares his, his intersection with these stories in his own life and his takeaways. So grab some of that s'more trail mix, sit back, enjoy this video, and I promise I'll be back to just lead us through communion really, really short. So as we finish up our Campfire Story Series, there are two things that I really liked about it. The first one is that I got to know eight more members of the congregation a little better than I knew them before. And then the second thing I liked about it is that there were, there were these themes that kind of jumped out that I think are important things for us as, as peacemakers. Uh, some of them were truth, love, uh, trust, respect, faithfulness, the value of the individual, and this timing. So those were all truths or things that jumped out at me that I really liked about this series. As we look at the first story, Simon. Simon's story was one where he was, he told the story about panicking um, when he was accused of doing something or saying something that he had not really said and it was in the middle of a meeting and it was his big boss and he just wondered, what should I do? Do I need to get involved in this myself? And what I like about it is the person that made the statement that Simon had gotten in trouble over actually came back and, and fixed it with their boss. And so what I thought about that was that's, that's where truth actually set him free. You know, Jesus said, if you study me, you'll really be my disciples and you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And in this case with Simon, this truth set him free from this overwhelming panic that he had because he was accused of doing something that he had not actually done. Our second story was from Leanne. And Leanne told the story about going into this one convenience store and being treated by this man who worked at the convenience store um, as really unfairly. He would call her sir and just not treat her with respect. And she confronted him about it. And he said, well, you wear a hat, you have a short haircut. She said, yeah, but I'm a woman. And the way that man treated her would mess up her entire day. And so later on, she met a woman who was working in the store when the man wasn't there, and she got to be friends with the woman. They would talk every time she went in, and they would end their day with, or end the conversation with, uh, be safe and have a good day. And what was interesting about that is the man who was mistreating Leanne, heard them talking, 
And after he saw the interaction between Leanne and the woman in the store, he's completely changed and he started talking to her, treating her with respect. And, and that was a good thing. And I think respect is something that as peacemakers we need to, we need to have in our kit bag. The third story was Bree. Bree told a story about being in high school where she had befriended uh, a, a classmate who was a gay young man. And she did not develop a deeper friendship with him because she was ashamed. And what I liked about, about that story is that the, when she looked back at it over the years, what she came away from, from is that, that, that love is a critical ingredient to being a believer. And that had she realized that in her high school days, she would have developed a better relationship with that guy. And so I think one of the things that we always have to do is be loving towards our fellow man and not let what other people think about them uh, change what we do. But we just need to do the right thing and be loving as Christians. The fourth story was Emily. And Emily talked about uh, how her life had been going recently and how she was just disappointed with God. And what, what is interesting to me is that she came back to Crossroads after she had been away for about a year. And she said if she, that was probably the only church that she could come back to because she really felt home there. But what I like about it is I think God was tugging on her heart. Even though she was disappointed with God, there was this thing God was doing to draw her back and the, and the takeaway for me was that this, this God that we serve is a faithful God. And so the takeaway is faithfulness. Our next story was Kim. And Kim was struggling with God because she had heard all these stories about God has a plan for your life. And as she looked at her life unfolding, she thought, this cannot be the plan that God has for my life. So she, like Emily, she was a little bit disappointed with God and she didn't know what to do. She was wondering why things were happening. And what happened is she finally decided, you know what, I'm gonna take my hands off the steering wheel and I'm gonna let God drive the, the, this vehicle. And for her, it was this element of trust that she had. And once she started to trust God, she actually saw him come through and she could see how he was actually working in her life. And even though things weren't going exactly the way she wanted it to, she could see progress being made. And she just said that trust was what she needed to do. And she did it and it worked for her. Our next story was Cy. Cy had a very interesting story. He was in high school, got injured in a baseball game and uh, had some pain. And that ended up uh, causing him to be addicted to painkillers. And he was still from his family, he was still from friends. And uh, he eventually got to a point where his dad looked at him and said, hey, you are, you, you're at a crossroads. You're either gonna be in jail, you're gonna be dead, or your third option is you can go to this one-year program that I heard about. And Sai said, you know, I think I'll go to the one-year program. So he went to that program. He was able to kick his addiction. And what I like about it is it motivated him to actually get involved in helping people that are struggling with addiction. And so the, the takeaway from that was that his life was valuable. Everyone's life is valuable. And even though they may be struggling, there is value in that God can use each one of us for something. Our next story was Kellen. And Kellen talked about a time when he was listening to one of Ryan's sermons. And, and Kellen is a, a cisgender white male who was, in a, who was in a position where he felt like he was being persecuted. 
And he came to one of these sermons that Ryan was preaching, and Ryan was preaching a sermon about how others are a lot more persecuted than people like Callan. And for Callan, that was a hard truth, kind of like the hard truth Esther had to endure. Esther had to face this hard truth that Mordecai was telling her, and he said, hey, if you don't do this, God's gonna find someone else to do it. But you might be in this position for such a time as this. And what Kellen got from his interaction with that sermon was, I am, I am the persecutor in that, that came from that story. And I need to really start looking at people through a different lens because there are people who are a lot worse off than I am. And this, this God that we serve is a God of inclusion. And I didn't even realize that so much because I was so stuck in my own little world. So what he walked away from, what I think I take away from it is, the, is that this God is an inclusive God. And don't try not to see the world just from your perspective, but try to be able to see the world from other people's perspective. And if you do, you can be a lot more um, usable peacemaker. The final story was LeVue. LeVue had this great story where he was um, an addict and he went through a program where he was able to kick his addiction and he saw an addiction in his friend, his roommate, and he thought, aha, I can help my friend. I know what the steps are and what I'll do is I'll help him to kick his addiction. So he started talking to his friend about going through these steps and uh, the takeaway for his friend was that, hey, I feel I feel judged, and what happened was they, it hurt their relationship. And what I like about that story is it just tells you that there's a, God has a time for everything. You know, there's a time to live, there's a time to die, there's a time to be born. And what you need to do is be prepared to listen to the Spirit of God as it works in you. And Ryan said in one sermon, you feel a check in your spirit when you're trying to do something. It's Probably not the devil. It's probably the Spirit of God saying, hey, it's not time for you to do that right now. I'm still working in this situation. When it's time for you to do it, I'll take that check away. I'll give you the, the green light to go. But we need to be working in God's timing and not our own. As I look at the entire series, you know, what I, what I really liked about the series is that I got to know eight people. But what I now realize is that there are probably as many stories about how God is working as there are people in this congregation. So as we go forward, what I hope to do is be able to talk to people and get to know their story and just see how God is working. And I think if any of us get to the point where we just don't know if God is working on our lives, then we can talk to other members of the congregation and get encouraged by the fact that we know God is working because we can see what he's doing in other people's lives. Yeah. So thanks to everyone who was brave and shared their story. We're, we're going to do this series again next year, and I hope that we'll get to hear new stories and we'll get to hear uh, how God is at work and moving, how love is shaping us and changing us as peacemakers. Um, you should have, as you came in, received one of these little packets. It's our communion. Uh, it's a little cup of juice and a cracker. If you don't have one, it's, we'd love for everyone to have one. Kids are included in this. Um, there's no class you have to take here. We practice what's called open table communion. And it just means this, that 
the God of the universe, love, the divine, whatever words you like to use, uh, this is that God's table. And there are no prerequisites to sit at it, but just to come and sit. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. And so um, you're, you are invited, if this is your first time, if this is your last time, if uh, you're not quite sure about this whole God thing, you're invited in this moment to experience the divine in a unique way through this tradition that's been around for a couple thousand years and celebrated in different ways. Um, so if you don't have one, just slip your hand up nice and high and our room host will make sure that you get one. Uh, you can, if you're at a table and you want to, you can open that up and kind of get it ready. If you're sitting on the, in the sides, you can do that as well. Uh, it's a little, little tricky. I would encourage you to take the bread out first, if you want to call it bread. Um, <laughs> And uh, then you can open up the juice in just a moment. Hey, do me a favor. Turn to somebody close by to you and just say this little phrase. Just say this little phrase. So kids, you can help me out too. Kids, wave at me. Where are all the kids at? Give me a little wave. So kids, I want you to look at a friend next to you, adults as well. Just look at somebody next to you and say this, these two little words. Just say, I promise. Say, I promise. Now, raise your hand up nice and high if you or somebody has ever said that to you, the word I promise. Have you ever said that or you said that to somebody else? How many have ever kept a promise? How many have ever broke a promise? Right? Yeah. Now, let's do this. Um, show me your pinky. You got a pinky, right? So we can say I promise all the time. You got a pinky, right? Now, look to somebody next to you and you'd like intertwine your pinky and say I pinky promise, right? Pinky swear. You ever done that before? Raise your hand up nice and high if you've ever heard that phrase, right? Okay, now I need you to take a pocket knife out, and I want you to cut your hand open. And uh, once you're bleeding, I'd like for you to smash your hand against someone else's and make a blood pact. Could you do that for me? I mean, maybe, maybe theoretically. You don't have to do it for real. But How many have ever heard of like a blood oath? You ever heard of that, right? So these phrases get progressively foreign to us. Most of us have said, I promise. A lot of us have maybe pinky sworn before. Very few of us have ever made a blood pact. <laughs> but what's interesting is this, this little moment in our faith tradition comes from something even stranger that's called a covenant. And a covenant was kind of this weird blood pact between a person and another person, or a country and another country, or a divine God, a being, like the God of a nation. We're talking about antiquity where there was a belief in lots of gods. And so you would have kind of a blood pact with your deity, your God, and it would be called a covenant. And there was generally involved the sacrificing of an animal. And then what would happen is you would take that animal and you'd fire up the Weber grill, right? How many of y'all like cookouts? We're coming up on Labor Day here, right? And you would have a meal you would eat that sacrifice, and it would be as if you were sharing in that experience with your God, your deity. And this was a very ancient, very archaic tradition that we know of most cultures in the ancient Near East. This was very common. We have beautiful stories of covenants being enacted in our faith tradition through the patriarchs, Abraham, and we know of a covenant, the, the, the Noadic covenant. Uh, we know of a covenant that was established with Moses. We know of a covenant that was established with David. We have all these covenants, and they're kind of blood packs, right? It's, it's kind of foreign to us. 
And we have this beautiful story, one that I want to finish our campfire stories with, that takes place. Mark probably tells us about it originally, and then Matthew and Luke, the two other gospels that are similar to Matthew, they take this story and they twist it a little bit and give it their take and put it into their narrative. But we get this picture of the Passover celebration, which was a moment in time where our Jewish brothers and sisters would and still do celebrate God's love and care for them in the exodus out of Egypt. And in that moment, like Jesus is celebrating this Passover meal, and there would be lots of cups of wine, and there would be lots of different times where you would eat. And if you've never celebrated a Passover, uh, you really should try and find a Jewish friend and go to their house for it. It's pretty amazing. I mean, you should be their friend besides just taking advantage of their Passover celebration. But um, we've, we've actually, I've been in settings where we've like hosted Passover celebrations, and we learn about it. It's very intriguing. But they were gathered around this table and they were laughing and they were telling stories of the faithfulness of God. It was Jesus and his closest friends, one that would actually take matters into his own hands and depending upon how you think about it traditionally, would betray Jesus. And they would sit together and Mark tells us that as they sat, Jesus took the first cup and he blessed it and he handed it out. And then he took a piece of bread and he took that bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body that's broken for many in Mark, he says. And then they share the rest of the meal. And Jesus' friends, we call them the disciples or the apostles, they were kind of confused by all of this because he was taking his own life and intertwining it with an ancient tradition, this meal that they would have, right? It was a, kind of like if you have pancakes on Christmas Eve and then all of a sudden somebody starts talking about the pancakes in a weird way, you'd be looking at them going, what are you talking about? And that was kind of the disciples. They were always confused, by the way. And so Jesus, at the end of the meal, he took the last cup and he kind of held it up and he, he said, this cup, and this is where it gets weird. Like, let's not deny it. It gets weird for us. He says, this cup is the blood of the new covenant, which is my blood. That just got weird, real weird. Because we don't talk in those terms. We don't think about it like that. But here's what Jesus was saying, right? You all get covenants. The word covenant in Hebrew means to bind together, to bind together. And Jesus took this cup that, that represented something completely different. It wasn't even really a covenant, interestingly enough. And he just kind of gave it a new meaning. And by the way, as Christians, we've been doing that for a long time. That's why we have Christmas on December 25th and we put trees in our house because we like to take things that are out there and we give it new meaning. And we just picked up that bad habit from Jesus. So Jesus takes this cup and he says, this is the new covenant that's in my blood. You know what Jesus was saying was he says, this is the deal. Like this bread and this cup means you're bound to God. That's it. And it's a covenant that's not revocable. It can't be changed. And they shared this moment together. And Jesus said, all the things that you've thought about God, all the things that you've ascribed to God, all the things that you've taken that are your image and you've put on God, I'm in this moment telling you right now, trust me. I want to give you something new. You are bound. God is bound to you irrevocably. And the only way that'll work is through my blood. And so we gather and 
in our tradition, depends on what church you go to, how often it happens. Sometimes it's every week in some places, and sometimes in our seasons we do it every week, and sometimes it's at the end of a series, it's an exclamation point. But the whole story of Jesus is kind of bound up in this, these two little weird symbols that we have, some juice and some bread, and it goes back to this meal that Mark shares us with this story about. And while we don't fully understand it, and while Christian history has told us that we've thought about it, and we've speculated, and we've said this is what it means definitively at times, and we call that a doctrine, and we force everybody to answer the same way, the real question I think that comes out of this story for us is, what can separate us from the love of God? Is there a height? Is there a depth? Is there anything you could ever do Anything that could ever be done to you that could separate you from divine love. And Jesus on that night said, no. Because this covenant, this binding together is done through me, not through you. And so that's why we celebrate this. So I want to encourage you this morning to know that your story, every part of it, every chapter that has been written and every chapter that is to come, If you're in here and you are five years old or eight years old or 12 years old, if you're you're in high school and your story is being written in front of you, it is sacred and it is beautiful and it's, it's necessary and it's needed. And none of it has anything to do with whether or not you're loved by God because that's the common thread in the whole story. And that's what this moment reminds us of. And that as a follower of Jesus is what gives us strength in the difficult moments where evil persists, where we're bullied at school, where we don't get the grade we wanted, where we feel rejected, we come back to this table, this table that's been set by Emmanuel, God with us. And so we do something weird that was not weird for Jesus' day, right? We recognize that we symbolically eat the flesh and drink the blood because that was the belief when you When you sacrificed to a God and then you ate that sacrifice, there was this belief that you were empowering yourself with that deity's power. That's why there was such controversy about eating meat sacrificed to idols, if you're familiar with that. And what did Paul say? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But we hold this beautiful metaphor, this beautiful image to just remind us that the entire world is held by this new covenant that's found in this beautiful image terrifying, horrible, beautiful, loving image of Jesus offering his life. Not to change God's view of us, but to write our view of God. So if you've struggled with your cup a little bit and you've pulled out your bread, if you'll hold that up for me here. And we're reminded in this little piece of bread of the power of God's love that was made manifest in the person of Jesus, a Jewish peasant with brown skin and no money and no education who never wrote a book, never wrote a poem, but yet has changed the world. We took that message and we've done good with it and we've done bad with it, but in this moment, we're reminded that's the story. That's the story. And so the body of Christ broken for you, take and eat. same way Jesus took the cup at the end and he opened it up, peeled it back and thought, 
who made these? So this is the new covenant. And like any other covenant, it's irrevocable. It's, this covenant is unique. It's one-sided. It's in my blood. There's no animal needed. That was the interpretation of the death of Jesus and his resurrection. And we still hold that as peacemakers who follow that path, that very difficult path, that narrow path of loving our enemies, of praying for those who persecute us, right? Of laying down the sword. So the blood of Christ shed for every person on this planet, take and drink. So God, we're grateful that in Christ for us is a demonstration of who you are, that you are bigger than anything we could ever imagine, that you are a part of our story, that in your love, in love, in peace, we live and move and have our being. And we know that there have been metaphors that have been used to understand this mystery of the cross and resurrection throughout time, to understand redemption, to understand grace. And we sing songs that, that oftentimes aren't perfect, but they remind us, they, they help us understand love. And we're grateful for this beautiful hymn in, in the book of Philippians that says that, that the Christ who was in some strange, impossible way, like had divine privilege, set aside that privilege, took on flesh and dwelt among us out of love. So may we embody and may we incarnate that same love and may this moment of juice and bread be a reminder that that's the call, that that's the plan. And so whether we're five years old or whether we're 50 years old or whether we're 90 years old, May we be peacemakers who live out this radical love in our world. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's do a blessing today. I'd like to, first of all, speak a blessing over our kids, if that's all right, and students. So if you're in elementary school or high school, middle school, you're here today, I just want to speak a blessing over you. And uh, so you can open up your heart to that, kiddos. And I would never ask a teenager to lift their arms up. That is way too weird. I totally get it. So don't sweat it. I'm with you, right? For our kids and our students in the room, may you know that we need to learn from you what it is to love this world and to love God. And may you experience in your upbringing in this church a God that is love, that has formed and fashioned every person on this planet. May you learn at a young age that nothing can ever separate you from divine love. And that while you go on your journey of life, you may have seasons where you feel far from that divine love. May you know that it never changes. May your hearts be filled with that because that will ground you so that you can love your friends and so that you can endure the pain that you might experience as friendships change and take shape over time. And I pray that God would put in your life a caregiver, a parent, a grandmother, someone that will model this radical, unconditional love for you. And that you would know that your parents, that the God of the universe are the best places to go with every hurt, with every good decision, with every bad decision, with every mistake. And may this be a place that you can learn about that God that invites you into a peacemaking path your whole life and that your faith will withstand 
all kinds of scrutiny of history because we know that our faith is not grounded in historicity, that your faith isn't grounded in facts, but it's grounded in experiencing love through one another. And for our adults in the room, may your gaze be fixed upon children and may your faith become like a child to see love, to see others as God sees them. As we enter into our lives as children, oftentimes we're filled with such hope. May our lives be filled with that hope. And may we know that no matter what we've been handed in our lives, in our religious traditions, in the interpretation of scripture we've been given, in the dogmatic ways of thinking we've been brought up, may we recognize that there is just one question that can hold it all together. What can separate us from the love of God? And we emphatically through the lens of Jesus say nothing. Amen. Have an awesome week, everyone, today, and we'll see you next week.